So, um, hey man, it's funny you this prompt you kind of we talked about, which is boot camp. I've been sitting here thinking about the you know the experience and trying to pluck out a story to tell you, and I realize there really is not one story. There's just I just have to tell you about boot camp. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, man. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start this bad boy off by saying, uh, you know, when I when I joined, my brother had already went to boot camp, Navy boot camp before me, so he kind of cued me into some of these things that were going to happen. And, you know, he, he got out and uh, out of boot camp, and he's already doing his uh, A school, which is where you learn, you know, you learn your trade or whatever in the Navy. And he would even tell me, you know, certain things after the fact. And he's like, you know what, though, man? He's like, you just never know. Like, you're not going to know until you do it. Like, I could tell you all this stuff, but it's, it's not going to really matter. Like, you just actually have to do it, and, and you'll see. It's just crazy. Um, but so that was kind of the, you know, he kind of prepared me for this whole thing. And um, so I remember actually getting off because uh, they have you stay at some hotel and they pick you up on a bus and they, they drive you. This is over in um, uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. So, you know, depending on what time of year you go, it's either really cold or really hot. And I, I just so happened to go in the summer. So they, you know, they pick you up at some hotel. I forget even what hotel we stayed at. And it's nighttime, and they drop you off at this, uh, this like, I don't even know. I mean, it's boot camp, wherever the place is, like, located. And I remember getting off this bus. I'm, like, running down the steps because they're yelling at you. It's literally like the movies. Like, it's just like the movies. Like, dudes are just screaming in your face. And I had a big old smile on my face because I was like, here we go. I'm Ben Grenell, and this is Character. Black sheep in navy clothes. Part two with the gods. There's so many details that I actually forget. I think it is really early in the morning. It, I remember it was like dark, so it had to have been early in the morning. Um, but you're pumped, like you, you have a little bit of a smirk. Yeah, on your face. I'm like, dude, this is about to go down right now. Like all the stories he told, <laughs> like here, here we go. A, a little yeah. too coy for their liking. Yeah, well, you know, it's oh, dude. There's so much, man. So. You know, I, I was I was I was also very aware that you do not want to stand out in boot camp. So it was just sort of like if you could imagine, I was like smiling to myself. Like I, I don't know if anybody could necessarily, because you know, there's a bunch of dudes. So I'm not like trying to stand out for sure, but I'm just like I'm just aware that this is about to go down right now. And, and this uh, is funny thing is, crime to you, right? Yeah, he told me about everything. So. I, I don't think I was surprised by any actual event that happened, but you can't be prepared for it because it's the context. It's the people you're with. It's like, it's, you know, it's the, it's the, the sort of, uh, I guess you'd call them drill sergeants in, hold on, there's this kid outside that just loves to just yell, I need to close this window. Um, basically in the Navy, they call them petty officers. That's like, they're, they're petty officers and they're chiefs, but in the movies, I guess you'd think of them like a drill sergeant. Um, I don't think they have like a formal name <clears throat> in the Navy, but these, you know, these guys, there's just different variations of these dudes. And 
you know, the guys that you go to boot camp with, there's just so many people from around America that, like, you could never be prepared for it. So it's the context of people you're with that makes it what it is. Um, I mean, in the events, too, the things that you do, yeah, of course. But, you know, so, um, yeah, man. First thing that happens when you get there is they basically – you're allowed to make one phone call. I think you're, you make two phone calls the entire time you're in boot camp. This is the first one. And it's just to tell your family – I made it. I'm here. Um, and you just, that's basically it. Like you don't say much. Um, I think, I think nowadays they have you actually ship your, like they'll have you box up your belongings, like the clothes that you came there with and ship it back to your family. But back when I went, they, they, you would put your clothes in like a bag and you lock it up or something like that. I forget exactly what happens, but I remember when I graduated, I was able to like open this bag back up, kind of like a time capsule, like, Oh, here's those clothes. And uh, so you make a phone call and have you against the wall. They're yelling at you. And they're basically, the first two weeks, they're just going to process you. And what that means is, like, they're going to give you, like, a piss test. They're going to, like, shave your head. They're going to give you clothes. I mean, all this stuff, like, it's going to happen real quick. And so uh, they have you go in this room and you strip down. And there's, like, a guy walking, like, walk, this small guy, he's, like, walking across the table, on top of the table, yelling at us. And, like, they're giving us clothes and, like, sort, you know, just, like, processing us. And they strip you down, and then they're, like, giving you instructions, like, do this, do that. And you're just trying not to screw up. I mean, the instructions are simple, but, like, you're just, it's so intense that you're, like, okay, don't, don't screw that up. Like, you know, basically what they tell you is exactly what you do. So uh, eventually you get dressed or whatever in, in all of the uh, military stuff that they put you in. And it's called Smurfs. That's what they're – it's basically like the Navy sweats, like blue sweats, like sweatpants, a blue, um, like, hoodie, like a Navy hoodie with, like, a white shirt and these stupid New Balance shoes. They're just, like, these <laughs> white shoes. <laughs> I mean, you look like such a nerd, man. Yeah. And uh, it's – Go ahead. No, man, I'm just laughing. It's good. It's dude, it's so funny because <laughs> you you can you can tell how long somebody's been there based on sort of what they're wearing, how worn in it is, and like um like their hair length, like how long their hair is because you get like one haircut there. Or I'm sorry, you get two haircuts. You get shaved, your head gets shaved, and then they give you another haircut later on. And then they give you, this is probably the most important piece of a, like, thing you'll wear in boot camp. They give you a hat that says recruit on it. And, uh, yeah, so you wear this stupid, like, recruit hat. Like, I look dumb in hats, but it is, like, I don't know, man. It's sort of that icing or, you know, like the cherry on top of the cake, so to speak, whatever. And uh, is it, like, an army hat or, like, a baseball hat? It's, like, a baseball hat that says, like, in, it's a blue hat that says in gold letters, recruit, like in big, bold, like condensed letters across the front of it. So there's no question that you're a recruit. Um, And this is important later because, you know, later on you actually see dudes marching around with a hat that says Navy on it. And they're gods. Like you're just like, no way, you know, but right here, I mean, where we're at, it's, it's, it's a totally different part of the campus. Um, that they have you at, like I said, it's the, they're processing you. So there's like two weeks you spend in like almost like um, it's like a mock 
sort of situation. It's like there's all these bunks and stuff, but it's not exactly what you're about to end up in, which is like a totally different scenario. Um, and so, yeah, so they process you. They have you do like a piss test. They, you know, they do all these things. They check your the arches in your feet, all that stuff to make sure you're good to go. What, what, yeah, so like, okay, they give you a piss test just to see if you're doing Mm -hmm. drugs. Yeah, they basically want to make sure, go ahead. If you're doing drugs, you you get kicked out, I'm guessing. Exactly, yeah. Like day one, they basically want to make sure you stay true to, because I think you you got sworn before all this and you had to sign some paperwork to basically say you weren't going to do anything, you know, that would deviate. And also you didn't lie about any of your medical conditions. So this is like they're sort of getting you down to neutral to make sure everything is what they what you said it was. And um, once they process you, you know, like it's on. Like I mean, I think the first two weeks they have you. No, that must have been later. I remember they gave us some shots and stuff, and that, that's later on. I think. Um, yeah, it was definitely but, later on. I'll tell you about that. Go ahead. But dude, why why do they check your feet? Like, can't they just? Like, oh, let's say you've got flat arches, yeah. can you, they just give you some Dr. Scholl's and you're all I sorted? Like, sure. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I think, like, flat foot is, like, one of the things that you cannot have when you're in the military. It's, it it has on. to do with your, like, mo- yeah, your mobility, man. Like, it's one of those things where it's it's just known, I think, at least I, I know it to be true, that you can't join the military if you have flat feet. Like, if you have arches that are – it has something to do with your mobility and your capability to be able to move. Jeez. You know? Yeah, man. I mean, it's just, like, basic stuff like that, though. I think they're just, like, double-checking everything because they're the government's about to invest some money in you. You know, I think it's on the order of, like, $60,000 per person. I don't know what the actual number is, but it's something like that. So they, they're just checking everything, you know? They're, the military's thorough. They have to be. <laughs> yeah, in, in you your know? training, they're investing money, but not in your clothes. They've got you dressed like Uncle Phil Dude, from the it, Fresh Prince. <laughs> 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 just so a true, just a group of Uncle Phil's wearing recruit yeah. hats. <laughs> they it's they so skip true, on that. They skip not, out not on that. Not only that, it's even worse. You you actually pay for it. So not only are they not paying for your clothes, you're paying about it's something like twelve hundred bucks or fifteen hundred bucks for your own uniforms. For a goddamn yeah. sweatsuit. <laughs> Well, twelve hundred dollars sweatsuit is it? Is it like a P Diddy no. sweatsuit or something? <laughs> no, no. They they actually give you like a you know you get your actual uniforms too. So like your dress blues, your dress whites. I mean the Navy actually has quite a few uniforms. Um, you have a you have what's called your utilities. You have a uh, what is it? It's like a jumpsuit that's pretty cool, I guess. And then you have like I said a P coat. I think I said that. Your yeah, your and that's hats, that's the one like, you kept. Your coat. Oh, I tried. I tried to. Yeah. I tried to. Yeah, because I bought all that stuff, and they they took it away from me. But they um, don't give you a refund. That's ridiculous. You want your well, money back? You know what? <laughs> yeah, and and actually, they end up they end up reselling these things too. So like, like that stuff you can actually find. There's um, I think you can go to to some stores on on a base, and you can find like you can buy like um, you know like basically used um uniform stuff i think if i if i recall correctly and i think they also sell this stuff to like uh those military stores, like uh, wholesale and not wholesale what is it you know stores that you can find out army about surplus. just like in any city yeah thank you army surplus so yeah, dude yeah, i bought I mean, stuff from there before i probably bought your sure. peacoat 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was a size small, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Probably mine. So, um, but yeah, man, they uh, it's it's crazy though. They, so they process you, and you're in these like these um, for the first two weeks. You're at this like I don't know. It's a smaller base because actually there's a tunnel that goes under a main road, and they have you walk through this tunnel to get to like the bigger base. But you don't do that in the first two weeks. They have you in these like different a different setup. It's kind of hard to describe. It's like a smaller, it doesn't emulate really what boot camp is. Um, and I think it's just because they're getting you used to, they're getting you acclimated, but they're also taking care of, you know, certain things. They're, they're like literally training you on the rules of boot camp um, on this like smaller uh, area. And it's, it's crazy. Like, so you have these, these, uh, these stupid, you know, uh, sweatpants or whatever. And, on the sweatpants is one of those, just like a, a drawstring that's kind of looped. It's not like two strings. It's like one string that has a loop. And they tell you to do very specific things. This gets back to, like, listening to instructions. So you're standing at attention, you know, in your, in your like, where your racks are at, your beds. And they're, like, yelling at you and doing all this stuff. And uh, they told you – at some point, they told you to tuck this thing in. And I remember this guy, I guess he didn't tuck it in or it was poking out just a little bit. And one of the the petty officers is, like, yelling at him. And these guys are kind of funny, actually. So it's kind of – it's a double-edged sword. They have to be careful because they'll say some funny stuff. But he yells at the guy, and he tells him to take that string and pull it over his head. He's like, he's like, weren't you listening to me? You know, like, they kind of just interrogating him. So he has to take out this little string that's around his waist and pull his sweatpants up. So they're almost like fishing waders or whatever you call those. And he has to take that drawstring and put it over his head like it's a necklace. And so this guy's just standing at attention with like his like like a like a camel toe, you know, like, his, like a front like a front wedgie, man. And they just yell at him, so they mess with you. Um, just looking yeah, like Urkel. Urkel, dude. Urkel. Like exactly. like sweatpants to his nipples. Yeah, dude. And so, but you can't be laughing. And actually. Oh, this is this is gold. This is I'd gold get, right dude, here. I'd get so the, kicked out. I'd get kicked out so quick. <laughs> well, what I'm about to say next, man. So there's this guy. This I forgot his last name. I mean, we end up forgetting a lot of these guys' names, um, but we go by our last names. And the reason we forget some of the names is because we get nicknames. And this guy was deemed Smiley because he was laughing at some of this stuff. <laughs> dude, I shit you not. Okay, this is so, this is this is gold right here because this has a through line to the entire time we're there. So this guy is, like, kind of laughing. And there's another petty officer. We we actually don't um, see this guy very often, but, you know, he was very present at the very beginning. And he goes, what's going on, Smiley? You think that's funny? You know, and, like, interrogating him. And then he's making him do push-ups and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, this whoever this guy was, I think his name was, like, his first name was, like, Rick or something like that. He actually... <laughs> It was funny the first few times, maybe the first, like, 20 or 30 times this guy started screwing with them, and this was just one of, like, many. But as boot camp went on, this other petty officer who was not even part of, like, our division, he didn't even belong to us. He would seek this guy out from day one. He's like, oh, you think this shit's funny? Well, guess what? You just, you just met your worst nightmare. This guy would go out of his way to find this guy. And to the point, like, you know, you're there for nine weeks. He was still looking for him, and this guy rick i think that's what his name was he would actually at some point he was scared of this dude and would start hiding from him like no joke 
Um, like I said, the first 20 times this guy messed with him, he was he kind of still had a good sense of humor, but he wore him down, and it wasn't funny anymore. Like week nine, you know, this kid is like <laughs> terrified of of this dude, whoever this uh, petty officer was. I don't even remember his name. Um, but getting back to like them processing you, you know, I think the first couple days you're there, they shave your head, and that's not a fun experience because they must have like the dullest like clippers, and they just drag these things across your head as fast as they can, and you know, it's all uneven. You have, like, spots that are longer than others. And uh, for some people, there's this one guy, once again, don't remember his last name because we called him Ron Howard. He he was 19 years old, but his hair never grew back. Like, some of these people who, you know, they they go bald early. And he legitimately looked just like Ron Howard. So that was his name. He just <laughs> and, and, and he had the baseball hat, like the Ron Howard bald head with the baseball hat. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. And you wear you wear your hat, which is called a cover. They call it a cover. You wear your cover when you're outside only. So when you're inside, every time you walk indoors, your cover comes off. <laughs> so, you know, whenever you're eating chow, which is, you know, just food, any any designated meal, whatever. Um, so, yeah, this guy was deemed Ron Howard. So it's just a lot of these weird nicknames that we had. Um, what was yours? You know, I think they called me Gonzo. You're, you're the only person who actually calls me Gonz, which I think is a cooler... I'm like, Gonzo, that's like Muppet Babies or something. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, it so, is. Jim yeah, right, from the right? Muppets. Yeah, yeah, man. So Gonz, I think that's a, that's a much cooler uh, nickname. But I think they called me Gonzo. Um, but, you know, I, I like I said, I tried to blend in. I didn't try to stand out in any way, shape, or form because I didn't want to be special. I didn't want to be – because then you have responsibilities, you know. Um, like, you just don't want to do that crap. Um so actually they kind of start testing out one of the first things you have to learn how to do is march as like a group of people. And this is just like bad news bears, man. Like you just, we, you know, when you first start trying to do this, it looks awful. It's like a, a traffic congestion, but they have two guys who facilitate this whole marching thing. And I think this is a, such an incredible part of the boot camp experience. So one of them is called the APOC and the other one's called the ROC. And the APOC is the guy, he holds a sword. And, I mean, I don't think he has it in the early, at the beginning, but eventually, you know, they get all this, like, fancy stuff. Um, but he calls out, like, he basically tells the, the mass of people, like, what they're going to do. Um, like, you know, like, company halt or, you know, on your right flank march, like, that kind of stuff. So, you know, he, he calls that stuff out. And then there's the other guy, which is, the, this is probably the coolest part, the R-Rock. So they're looking for somebody who can actually sing, because, you know, you start out with like like one, two, three, four, and every odd number is your left foot, every even number is your right foot. But eventually, when you get good, and this happens like later on, and this is pretty cool, this is about like teamwork, and I think that's why it's so neat, is you, your art rock, whenever you find that guy who can sing well, because they kind of go through different dudes, they'll try different guys out, and they'll make fun of them because they can't sing. But, uh, you know, they, they start to develop a style so that monotonous, like, one, two, three, four becomes like a, like a, I'm going to try to do it right now. It's like a one, two, three, four, two, three, four, four, you know, like something like kind of a melody to it. And uh, it's pretty neat because you can, if you're not with your division, let's say you had to stay back at what's called the ship. If you're back at the ship and you're not with your division, you can hear them pulling in, uh, like, to, it's, it's just a parking lot, but they call it the grinder. So you can hear them pulling into the grinder because you can identify your R-Rock. So that's what's kind of cool. You're like, oh, there's my team. 
you know. Um, oh, because because everybody's got their own style. Exactly. Everyone has their own voice and their own style and their own like, you know, they'll come up with some crazy, like, uh, you know, it, it evolves. Like, like I'll try it again. Like, it'll be like uh, one, two, three, four, two, a three, four, they won't two. One, two, three, four, three, four, three, four, they want two or three, four, two or three, four, they want, four, they want, four, they want, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's yeah. like they'll riff off of it. They'll make it their own, and they have their own voice. We, Our guy, he had like a, like a really cool, like a smoky voice, and uh, you're just like, oh, man, there's something about that. But anyway, so so, you know, in the early days, they're looking for these, they're trying to designate these people. Um, like who's going to be this, who's going to be that. There's like, there's like a guy who has to take care of the laundry. So he's like the laundry PO. So he has to like bag the laundry and like do the laundry or whatever. Um, there's a master at arms. I think master at arms is like actually a police officer, you know? <laughs> me, but meanwhile, they, Smiley's just playing hide and seek. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Designated dude, really hide and seeker. <laughs> hide and seek. Like run to the bathroom yeah. and hide. Or like hide <laughs> under the racks, like under the bed. And so, yeah. <laughs> Poor yeah, guy. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he kind of paints himself into that corner. <laughs> but we, we thought it was hilarious, you know. And um, the one thing about our division, because eventually you get what's called a brother division. And the brother division is like your competition. Um, and you're designated in a number. We were 315, and our brother division was 316. And, um, you know, when you make it over to the, the actual boot camp, the real campus, you're in these long, almost like a, it's like a dorm room that has a bunch of beds. I would say about 80, well, not 80 beds. It has to house about 80 people. And so there's beds on one side and beds on the other. It's called the starboard and the port. So that's like a ship. So the port side being, you know, port and the starboard being the ocean side. And then the front of it's called like forward. And then the back is called aft. That's just the name of it. So you basically learn these, like, real basic principles of being on a ship. Um, but, you know, certain guys, if they're like the APOC or the AROC, they have a, a very specific bed that they sleep in that's all the way at the front or the master at arms. So that's why you don't want to be too special. If you don't want to – because they're going to see you. <laughs> and my, my thing was I just wanted to blend in so I could get through boot camp as easy as possible because, you know, you have, like, certain expectations and, and stuff like that. So – so, yeah, man, um, I don't know where I'm going with this story, but just kind of giving you the layout here. Of... Yeah, and, it, and boot camp, like, I mean, it sounds, you're trying to blend in, but it sounds like it's super hard once you get into, like, some of the drills and some of the, there, there have to be physical and mental exercises that they make you do. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it, the the sort of, the thing that people don't really understand, at least with the Navy, I'm not going to speak for everybody else, but... The Navy really is not physically that demanding. Um, actually, most of what you do is, like, quote-unquote school. Like, you have to, like, literally go into classes and sit in class, and, like, you have, like, books and stuff, and you have to – I mean, they have because they're teaching you about – like, being on an aircraft carrier is super dangerous. Um, being, like, around, like, lines and ropes and, you know – I mean, this is all about – the Navy's all about attention to detail. Like, you have to know that nothing is out of place. That's why that guy tuck, took that string and put it over that guy's head. He's teaching him a lesson about attention to detail because 
how this really breaks down is when you're on a when you're in a boat or a ship, <clears throat> the whole thing the whole ship has a bunch of compartments, and these are like the doors you see you close them and you twist that that it almost looks like a steering wheel to like close the compartment. That's really important because if if you start to take on water, um, you need to start compartmentalizing and shutting um, certain compartments off, and you need to start pumping that water out of that compartment with pumps. They're called like P100s. They're just a pump. But if there's something like, say, a T-shirt, which is called gear adrift, if that's just chilling out and it's not supposed to be out and that gets caught in the pump, you just sunk the ship. You just killed your shipmates. You just killed everybody on this boat. And that's why they have you – that's why they're so, like, you know, hard-assed about this type of stuff. And this, this really does show it – you know, they, <laughs> there's some stories here, but basically – you know, when you do get to the the real boot camp setting, the, the ship, as we call it, I'll just call it the ship from here on out, which is really just where all your bunk beds are at. When you get on that ship, eventually they have you do a uh, watch. You stand night watch. And I forget exactly how everybody has to do it. Um, there's somebody standing watch at the forward part of the boat and at the aft part of the, the ship. And the reason they do this is because at night the petty officers – there's two sort of sets of petty officers. There's like the ones who actually are responsible for you. We had, you know, everyone has about three. So we had two petty officers and a chief. A chief just is like a higher ranking guy. He just has been on longer or whatever. But basically three guys are responsible for watching us, Division 315. And sometimes these guys will go through at night um, to all the ships. Like it's kind of like their duty, I guess. This is part of like the interrogation part of boot camp. They'll, you don't know if you're going to get your, your petty officers or somebody else's, um, but they'll come in at night and they'll, they'll wake everybody up and they'll go through your shit to make sure you're not like, they check stuff. Like people get real lazy. Um, if, if, if you wanted to like leave a pen out, but you didn't want anybody to know it, you'd like tuck it in where you kind of have these like, um, these cabinets that you put your clothes in you're supposed to fold them in a very specific way. Everything has to be folded in a very, very specific way. Um, but you could kind of tuck your ink pen into, like, these certain spots if you were being lazy. And they'll come around and they'll check. Like, basically, all these cabinets have clothes at night. It's called, like, night stow. You put all your clothes away. And what they do is they'll come in and they'll just start grabbing clothes and ripping them out at, like, 3 in the morning, yelling at you, talking about gear drift. <laughs> like, like, and the, the night watch has to, like, basically, whoever's in the front of the back, they have to address the petty officer in a certain way and, all this stuff, but these guys interrogate you because they're, they're training you like, Hey, basically don't get lazy. We're going to catch you every single time you guys get lazy and we're going to, we're going to make a hell on you. And, um, this is actually, this is my favorite thing because I, I just knew they were going to do this. So like I folded my clothes so perfectly. Like I was just like, I would wait for them <laughs> when they'd come in. I was like, yeah, you know, me smiling again. And I'd watch them turn on their flashlight and look at my night still and they're like, dang, that's pretty good. Like, they would say that, like, audibly. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Look at those clothes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, you can't get me. You know, because I, yeah, I knew, I knew this How game. would you know? How, do you, how well, would you know they were coming in? I didn't actually know because it was random, but it was like I just prepared for it every single time. I, like, every time I went to bed, I was like, these things are going to be folded so perfectly that they can't mess with me. Like, it was just preparation. But, like, when they came in, I was kind of excited. So I'm like, all right, like, go ahead and check it out. <laughs> You're going to like what you see. You know, like, I, I just wasn't lazy about that. Because I'm like, what am I going to do, man? I'm in boot camp. Like, 
<laughs> I don't have time to. I mean, I have a bunch of time. I have all the time to fold my clothes correctly, you know. But almost, you're almost doing it. You're almost doing it to like piss them off because they want to catch you. But then you're like, yeah, man, I'm two yeah. steps ahead of you. <laughs> exactly. You're not, yeah, dude, me. you're not gonna ruin my sleep. You know. Yeah, it was. It was really being two steps ahead. And actually, this is kind of what got me. I wouldn't say in trouble, but it got me. So that what they made me eventually, because I was good at folding my clothes and attention to detail, so they made me what's called a section leader. So now I'm in charge of like, you know, five or six dudes because I know how to do my job well. Now I have to like watch these dorks, you know, and show them how to do which it. Is which is not fine, what you whatever. want. It's not it's what not you what want you because want now you stand out. They give you, it's called a collar device. Like if you've ever seen in any military movie, see like an anchor or like a bird or you'll see these different things on somebody's actual collar um, and it signifies like their ranking and so they gave me a collar device so like I actually had like a ranking among um, my peers which has just meant that you know there's just like I think there's like six or so section leaders or whatever there's like a handful maybe eight I don't know what it is anymore but you basically are in charge of watching you're like a middle manager that's what you are you're a middle manager you're in charge of watching the lowest level guys and you kind of show them how to do whatever it is they don't know what to do. So now you have to be responsible for yourself and others, which is whatever. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal and it actually ended up playing out pretty well like later on. But the thing I didn't like about it was <clears throat> when they made me a section leader, I had a bunk with a guy from Texas and I really liked him. We were, we were good friends and his name was J Ray. I actually remember his name. But, yeah, me and J-Ray, man, we were, we were buds. And uh, eventually I had to move. I had to go to a different section. They're like, oh, you're, you're over here now. I'm like, ah, shit. You know, so I had to move my, uh, my rack to a different place, and it just meant that I had to watch these guys. So, you know, it kind of, like I said, it played against me to be a little too on point. Um, but it didn't really, I mean, it really informed my time there. It actually made it kind of interesting because, when you're when you're at boot camp, you know when you actually get to the the real deal campus and you're doing stuff, the whole boot camp is running on on recruits. So everybody in their fifth week, it's called cruise week. Cruise week is your week to do everything that needs to be done. So for example, when you're in the galley getting food, somebody's serving you that food. Well, those people are on cruise week. That's their fifth week there, and they run. So you know it kind of every fifth week it changes over and these recruits take over that's like a primary job of like running you know doing the food and dishing it out <clears throat> but um since i was a section leader <laughs> this actually runs into a kind of a funny story um i was actually in the schoolhouse that's i told you about the schoolhouse before or at least the primary thing we do at boot camp is you you know pretty much like after lunch it always seemed like they'd after you would eat they would send you to this like schoolhouse and you'd sit there and you have these like big thick books and you'd be learning about like you know how to like tie off a line so it doesn't snap or don't ever you know certain things that you don't want to do so you don't get killed or don't kill others when you're on a ship um and so the schoolhouse is where everybody has to go at some point to you know throughout the training to like check off this whole manual and learn all this crap well i was assigned to the schoolhouse instead of dishing out food on my fifth week I was actually like a janitor um, inside the schoolhouse, and it was it was kind of cool. Like I was lucky. I was actually really lucky because all of the other guys, the RPOC, the AROC, Mastered Arms, like these other dudes, they actually had to um, strip and wax the floor inside the ship, which seemed like a pretty crummy job. Like 
all I had to do was like push a broom and like, you know, mop some stuff up or whatever. And I was pretty much by myself. That's why it was so cool. And I'd find myself in these sort of lounges that were for petty officers, like the History Channel would be on. And I'd just be like wide-eyed, like, oh, wow. Like, because you haven't seen anything <laughs> that resembles the outside world, you know? And so you're like, holy crap. Yeah. But there's like a vending machine and there's like candy in there and you're starting to get some ideas about, <laughs> ooh, maybe I can get some candy or, you know, whatever. But um, so the reason this is kind of interesting is because, like I said, <clears throat> in the ship, you know, all these, uh, like the handful of like special people, they're basically stripping all of the wax off the floor and then re rewaxing this whole thing. It takes like a week to do it because it's a big job. And basically all the maintenance work that it takes to keep the boot camp running, that's what everyone's doing. And since I have this like sort of lighter weight job, I literally march by myself, which is really crazy because there's this other set of petty officers I forgot to tell you about. They're called RDCs. They have like a red like arm like a thing around their arm and they're basically like great white sharks like in the on the campus of this whole thing they're like highway patrol or cops and what they do like my petty officers like the three dudes who are in charge of watching us these guys have to answer to them so our petty officers are kind of afraid of those guys because those guys can i don't know what they they have basically ultimate power to like do all kinds of crazy stuff to make they're basically quality control. That's what they are. They're quality control for boot camp. So here I am. I have to basically march by myself, which is always a very um, – you never see, like, a lone person walking by themselves, you know. And if they are, it's like, what do you mean? they're we, actually – so, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I was going to say, well, so when you march, like, you got to march – or, sorry, when you walk, you march by yourself? Yeah, dude. It's like, not you walking. can't just, like, walk the hallways? Like you always. cannot walk. No, it is. It looks like a robot. If you see one person, so this is the variation you're going to see. You're going to see either um, like a, a division, which is like 80 dudes, and the ROC and APOC and one, two, three, and like it's marching. You're going to see that. Or you're going to see a very small, let's say, you know, four to eight people sometimes, sometimes marching. And that's very, you know, um, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? conspicuous i guess like if you see like four or five or eight guys you're like okay what are you guys doing especially if you see one person it's like what the hell are you up to like why aren't you with your division that's basically the question that's going on um but sometimes there's good reason and and to your to your point it is marching like whenever you hit a corner you don't you don't like casually walk you make a 90 degree pivot and you it looks like a robot so like it's it's like 3.31 3.31 a.m., mm-hmm. you're in bed, all of a sudden you got to drop a deuce for some reason, you get out of the top bunk, <laughs> and you have to fucking march no, to take okay, a dump? No, I, I guess, fair enough, fair enough. Um, inside that ship, you're allowed to be as much of a human being as you can. I mean, there's still rules, but no, you don't have to march inside your ship, but outside of that ship, like, the, 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 that building is only, it's essentially like a hallway full of beds. And right outside of that, once your hat is on, you're marching. There's no walking. Any, there's no casual walking whatsoever. It only exists inside where your beds are at. That's the only time you're really – I mean, even in the schoolhouse, you basically march down the hallway. You don't just walk. <laughs> 
So it's a good question. It's a you fair can't, point. But. You can't you can't be like dragging your leg like a homeboy. Just like <laughs> no, dude, there's none of that crap. <laughs> You're asking for it, man. So the only uh, way I'm able to even get to the schoolhouse is like I have to march there by myself and have a little piece of paper in my um, like my breast pocket, and it's like it has to be signed off by somebody. It's called an interstation pass. And you put that bitch in your pocket, and you you march to wherever you're going. And if you get pulled over by an RDC, which is likely, they're gonna be like, "Where's your interstation interstation pass?" And you pull it out, and you present it, and they check it, and then they let you go. You're like, okay, boom. And it's even though you know you're on the up and up, it's still scary because you're just like, you don't even know. They could get you for other stuff, and you're not even sure what that is. But the one thing that's constantly going through your mind when you're at boot camp is, I don't want to get set back in training because you're there for nine weeks, and that nine weeks feels like forever because it's every day is almost exactly the same. It's just repetition, and you're just like you start to lose touch with time in a way. You're like, man, I'm going to be here forever. This feels like prison. It feels like worse than prison because you're not even allowed to like. One of the things is you can't go to sleep whenever you want to. So when you're in class, you're falling asleep all the time, and they're like yelling at you, and you have to stand up with your book in the back of the classroom and like try not to fall asleep. So in some ways it's like, feels like worse than prison. You don't get to play cards. Um, they caught a guy playing chess with himself via, he was writing just the coordinates down in a book. Like that's all he was doing. What he do got, you, he got, what, in trouble. what do you mean? He, he was just thinking so like, of his moves to himself and they yes, didn't like that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They're like, what's this? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes. That's why it's worse than prison, because you're like, you can't even, like, play your own solitary game of chess on a piece of paper in a book. <laughs> but, like, what, can you journal to yourself? Like, could you, like, write yourself notes you're, and stuff? Or? You're allowed on – so on the weekends, you're allowed to write letters, but you're, I don't think you're allowed to even journal to yourself. I think you're only allowed <clears> – because <throat> you have these, like, little workbooks that have, like – oh, man, I'm trying to remember what they're – basically, like, they're 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 – essentially like the 10 commandments of like the Navy, like you have to be able to recite these rules off. I forget what the rules are called, but that's, it's like in this book. And basically if you have any contraband in there, anything that's not related to what you're supposed to be doing other than personal letters that you're going to send home or to your friends, like you're really not allowed. There's like no wiggle room, man. It's very strict, you know? Yeah. Like, like I, I, I I would not want to be caught playing chess. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Like nothing, I'm trying to think, like they're really, I think that's why this is such a fun time, even though it sounds horrible, is because you're really not allowed to do so much that you, you make the best of what it is when you're there with these guys. And it's it's kind of a horrible experience, but at the same time, you end up laughing harder than you've ever laughed in your life, you know, like because of the, the moments that happen, like just the, uh, I guess the camaraderie. And the thing about our division, 315, is we we didn't give a shit about being good at anything. You know, you see these divisions who are marching with all these flags, and they look awesome. They look like, whoa, like this, this, uh, this division is decked out. Our division collectively just decided, like, we don't care. <laughs> We're not trying to be, like, the best division. We just want to get through boot camp. Um, and it was kind of the best decision ever because 316, they wanted to be, like, the Cobra Kai or I don't know, they wanted to be like, like excellent and kind of like snarky at the same time, like our, our brother division. And we were just like, whatever, dude, like, 
you win, go ahead, <laughs> whatever you want. Um, so that was actually really fun. It, it, you know, created some different scenarios for us that we had a great time. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get to those. But um, back to the schoolhouse situation. So week five, cruise week, marching to the schoolhouse, and, I'm, you know, I'm in there cleaning up stuff. It's, it's a real, it's a pretty light job. And eventually they let me go after report to somebody and they're like, all right, like you've done your job for the day. I'm sure they checked all my work and, you know, I was pretty thorough about stuff. So send me on home or whatever, send me back to uh, the ship. And, uh, you know, I have a caller device. I'm special. I'm like, some, I'm supposed to be excellent or something. I don't know, but I get back and, you know, here's, I'm here with the other special guys, you know, the RPOC, A-Rock, all these different dudes. And, um, you know, I'm like, oh, you guys are still stripping the floor, huh? Like in the ship. And I'm thinking, well, I'm sure as hell not going to help you guys do this because I finished my job for the day. So inside, there's like basically we have like a really big restroom area because it, it's a bunch of toilets. And then there's a bunch of showers in there. It's like a community shower, like one big room with just a bunch of shower heads. And basically this, this bathroom kind of spirals a little bit. Like it does a spiral and it goes back to where there's a bunch of folding tables. And I guess that's um, that's mostly for the the laundry PO. Like he uses these tables to like I don't know, maybe I've never really used them, so I guess they just sort clothes in there. And then inside that room where all these tables are at, like I said, it's kind of spiraling, and you're going to the inner part of it. There's a room where they keep these big ass, huge laundry bags. They're like the size of a mattress, like maybe like a queen size mattress, maybe a king size mattress. They're big laundry bags, and that's where all of our clothes go. And they have multiple numbers of these bags. And uh, I, I know about this laundry room. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> because it's really dark in there. And, you know, like you basically lay on these big laundry bags. And I think I've done this a couple times because I'm, every time I came back, like I said, I'm not going to help these guys strip and wax the floors. I've already done my job for the day. So this is probably like the third time within the week that I was, uh, you know, doing this and I flip on the light and it was kind of like, there was like a, there was a guy in there. He was the laundry PO. His last name was flowers. That's his last name. He's a real funny guy too. So I flip on the light. I'm like, Oh, Hey flowers. He's like, Hey man, what's up? Turn the light off. Like lay, you know, lay on one of the bags. And the next thing I remember is like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And I'm like, I'm just running now. Like I just was sleeping and now I'm running. <laughs> like, like I'm in trouble. You know, my petty officer, he decided to go check on things and he caught me and flowers just taking a nap on the laundry bags. And he's like yelling at me. He's like, you're supposed to be a leader, you know, whatever the hell. And um, the funny thing is when they start counting one, two, three, four, you know that you're supposed to do like burpees, like up downs is what they're called, but burpees. Um, so you're, you know, squatting to the ground, doing a push up, jumping up in the air. So he just starts counting. We're just doing burpees. <laughs> I went from, I'm taking a nice little nap to now I'm like running and now I'm doing burpees. And I'm just like, oh, shit, <laughs> like I'm going to get demoted. I'm going to get in trouble. And uh, I think what they ended up making us do was like a detail job on the on the head, which is, you know, short for the bathroom. We basically had to clean the bathrooms super spick and span. Like, I mean, they didn't give us a toothbrush, but it was kind of like that level of detail where, you know, you guys screwed up big time. You guys are supposed to be, you know, leaders. And here you are taking naps. <laughs> So, um, is, so that is that for funny. real? They'd actually, they actually give people a toothbrush to clean. Like, is that a punishment? Well, they, I don't think they gave us a toothbrush. Like I forgot the utensils they actually gave us, but 
it might have actually been pretty useful to have a toothbrush. Like, that's how clean they wanted it. Like, they want to check on everything. Like, whenever, you, whenever you're in boot camp, like, here's the level of detail that they check on you. You have to remember, there's, these are kids. These are 18-year-old people who just graduated high school. They're probably not – they probably don't have their, you know, their act together. And they're just, you know, a lot of – in a lot of cases, like, they're from all around the country. Some of them are really bad dudes, like, dudes who are just, like – they didn't have anything else to do, so they decided the military. So they even teach you how to shave in the military because some of these people have never shaved their face in their life, like with a razor. So you're dealing with this sort of adolescence. And so that's, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, it's just hard to explain, but just a, different, a lot of different types of personalities. So what they do when, they're, when they have you shave, it's very specific. <clears throat> they get really close to your face and they check to make sure that you get every bit of peach fuzz off your face. Um, when you're when you're wearing your uniforms, they're literally looking for any threads that are just like not, you take your, you take fingernail clippers and you go through all of your uniforms. Like this is part of how you get set up like the first couple of weeks and you clip off every stray thread that exists around the, um, like the buttons, like all that stuff, you clip every single thread off. So like, that's the level of like basic detail. So I got in trouble for something I definitely wasn't supposed to be doing and they wanted me to clean the bathroom. So if, if that's the level of basic detail, they're going to have more scrutinizing detail on the way I cleaned that bathroom. So like I said, I don't remember the tools they gave me, but it might have been useful to have a toothbrush. <laughs> like, like it might have been easier in some case. Like, oh, this is a great tool. Let me just use this. Um, but, you know, I mean, at the same time, the military, they can't make you do certain things because they – people actually die in boot camp because they don't drink enough water. Like it happens all the time. Um, no way. People, you, yeah, man. Like you, so you wear like a canteen, like a like a green belt with a canteen, and they have to remind you to drink water all the time. Like when you're marching, they'll have you stop, and they'll say hydrate, and then everybody like you know everybody at the same time like pulls their canteen out and you drink water, and in the summer months it gets really hot there, and basically, I mean, I'm from from Bakersfield, California, where it gets like 110, 115 in the summer, so I'm I'm very used to this type of weather. I'm like, oh yeah, this is not. But other people, they've never been in this kind of heat, and they're not aware enough to know that you have to be drinking more water than they're actually consuming. So people will die of dehydration. Like, you know, they just, you'll hear ambulances at night. Like, oh, there goes another one. Like, you're not sure if they're going to, you know, you, you don't really know the details of it, but you know that people definitely die because they just were too stupid to, to not consume enough water. Um, it just happens, you know. So uh and this happens on the regular. Like this is like a regular yeah, occurrence. Yes, because you'll you'll know that something happened when you hear an ambulance and it's usually like I said we were in there in the summer so it's usually because somebody was probably dehydrated. Like that's the only reason really. I mean unless something else happened but like dudes weren't really like fighting or beating each other up in boot camp so like usually that was like the main cause of like why I'm sure there were other instances of things happening but it was sort of a common knowledge like you know don't be that guy basically that's what it was is like you guys better drink water because this happens like way too often like don't be an idiot just drink water when we tell you to drink enough of it like some of you people they have to remind you to do basic stuff um because some guys just aren't you know they're just not thinking all the way through so uh, so yeah like i said it's common knowledge that people get dehydrated some guys are yeah. busy playing chess in their notebooks. 
Yeah, dude. <laughs> well, that guy, I forgot his name too, but he was an interesting dude. He actually could, he could do like a cricket sound with his mouth. Like eventually, eventually we started screwing with the petty officers because we knew enough of what the rules were and like, you know, we knew what we could and couldn't get away with. And I think at a certain point, once you get your stuff, your act together enough, they, maybe there's a little bit of leniency, but that guy, he actually could do a cricket sound with his mouth. And so when you're standing at attention, he'd hear a cricket <laughs> and petty officers would be like, they'd kind of think to themselves, like, is that an actual cricket or is somebody doing that? And then he would stop. And it was just a small enough movement that you couldn't really tell who was doing it. No so we would way. mess with them back. Yeah, and I actually learned how to do it. So he taught us, like, dude, you got to teach me how to do that. Um, so let me see if I can get some water here and try to do it for you real quick. Maybe I could just do it. So, yeah, a little bit of cricket sound. That's there. that's a legit cricket sound, man. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. Um, now I'm parched right now. I need some water. But, um, but yeah, so it was funny. Like, that's I learned that from boot camp because, you know, here he is messing with the petty officers. I'm like, dude, i got to know how to do that because that's just too funny. And so we would trade off. Like, <laughs> he would do the cricket sound, and it looked one way, and I'd do the cricket sound. So uh, yeah, I mean, you learn how to play play between the lines, and I did a lot of that. We we all did. There's you know, we uh, you know, I think my first, the only time I ever got caught doing anything was when I was taking that nap. Um, but I did some other stuff that was way crazier than that, and I got the sort of nerve to do it because I I got so used to uh, cruise week, you know, marching by myself, and I think I developed like a certain sense of confidence doing that. And I'm like, okay. Like, like as long as, I don't know, it just, you had to have an attitude about yourself. That's what it was. And, um, sort of getting back to me being a section leader, you know, we would do our night stows and we put our clothes up in a very specific way. And I would actually do it for, for my, you know, it's called your shipmates, your, you know, your, your buddies, your people, your, well, really everybody's your shipmate, but that sounds so corny, but it's, dude, the power of teamwork is incredible. Like, this is what the the Navy teaches you. I think all military teaches you is like how to work as a team. And it's, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen uh, because it's just harnessing people like that. And almost like this collective force is really cool. But you know, when you're working with these guys, you're like, okay, man, let me, let me show you how to do this. And you show them how to fold their clothes. Like get these like really crisp corners and all this stuff. So we do our nights though. And our chief, by the way, so there's these three guys, the two petty officers and the chief, he's kind of the higher up of, of the three. And he wears, like, a khaki uniform. The other two guys wear, like, a white uniform. And the chief, we could just tell our chief, I think his last name was Soto. I don't even remember these dudes' names, but I remember his name because he was, he was a real jerk. Like, you could tell. He, it wasn't just an act. Like, like the petty officers, the, his peers didn't like him. Like, he was that much of a jerk, you know. And um, he, one, one night, you know, he's, they basically they go through and they do their, they always check on your stuff before they leave. So that he's checking on our stuff, checking our stuff, and he sees our night stove, and he's like, that's one hell of a night stove. <laughs> he's, like, super impressed by the way we folded our clothes. And he's like, you know what? And this was a big deal, what was about to happen. He's like, he's like, um, you know, Recruit Gonzalez, he's like, you and, your, and your, um, your section, you guys get a phone call. And, dude, that is super unheard of. Like, like what? Like, you only get, you get one phone call when you first get there to tell your family, you arrived and you're not dead. 
you get a like a mid level like a you know maybe like the fourth or fifth week you get a, a phone call just because so he just granted us like an unheard of additional phone call because we folded our clothes well <laughs> and everybody was like what the heck it was like we won the lottery like everybody was super jealous and so so what that meant was we were going to um we we were able to march over to like where the phone booths were like our section and we got an interstation pass that was filled out all this stuff put it in our pocket we uh grouped up like there were like six of us and we marched down to the phone booths which is pretty far away and we made a phone call to our family it was like an extra phone call we were able to make because our night stove looked so good and the combination of that event with me marching by myself on this campus you know we we got a group of guys together at a certain point and we did it again but we weren't supposed to do it we filled out fake interstation passes and like i said where where do you get them from well you i think whenever you get one so you have one constantly like that's always in your pocket and that's the only one you have it's blank and then somebody signs it and then they give you a new one to replace the you know the, the one you used and basically at this point in the story i have to tell you about a guy named sheldon Sheldon was like the shady, you could look at this guy. He was like the skinny white dude who had like this, like kind of like this brow, like this eyebrow ridge of just like shady looking eyes. Like he was just, you looked at him and you're like, Oh dude, you're constantly up to no good. I mean, his last name is Sheldon. He sounded like he was up to no good. He was probably the shadiest character in our whole division. And he told us all kinds of crazy stories about his life. But this guy was operating on another level. Like, I think he gathered some, he was basically the guy, if he was in prison, he's the guy who can get you anything you want. That's who he was for us. And I think he was able to somehow get additional interstation passes. I think it was his idea that we march over and make this phone call, like after the fact that everyone knew that we got this additional phone call. He's like, hey, we should do that again. And I'm like, I'm down. (laughs) So, um so we masked up a few guys. I mean, it was probably another group of like six or so, basically people who were crazy enough to do it because this was like a really crazy, this would actually get you set back in training. I'm almost certain about it. I mean, it's just such a bad thing, like to, to fill out phony interstation passes and make, I mean, so I made one, two. So there's the two phone calls they give you. There was the third that I was granted. There's the fourth that I was about to do. And I did a fifth later on. So I did five phone calls when I was in boot camp. <laughs> and you're and, only and like, who are you calling? Are you just calling your mom? Friends? Yeah, I'm calling friends and family. I think I called like just like close friends of mine who knew I was in boot camp. And at this time, this is like before, you know, going to definitely date myself here. But like, I mean, cell phones existed, but like not, it wasn't commonplace. And so I actually knew, I remembered phone numbers. So I, I knew I could call people just from like memory and be like, oh, I just, I would try this number or try that number. And whoever I'd get a hold of, I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm making a phone call right now. <laughs> and and then uh, how, so, how long are these calls? Well, whew, I think they're the one that they give you, the second one is probably about like 10 or 15 minutes. And it feels anything they give you in boot camp, you feel so lucky to get any sort of anything. So like that 10 or 15 minutes probably feels like an hour. I mean, I forget what it was. Um, the additional phone call they gave us is probably exactly the same amount of time. The one that we went and made was probably similar because huh, I'll tell you about it right now. <laughs> so we get these guys together and we fill out these passes, we mass up, 
and I don't even, we must have done this on the weekend because I'm trying to think when would you even be able to do this? We figured it out nonetheless. Um, and we marched over to like, it's called the Navy exchange. It's basically a store where you buy all of your deodorant and like the stuff you need. Um, they, they make, you know, you make a few trips there like during the time you're there because you have to replace stuff. Um, and it's like your whole division goes at the same time. Like you're usually never seen marching six guys, one guy that, never happens. But like I said, I got kind of inoculated to, to doing this. I just got used to doing it. And, um, so we marched over it was was pretty far, man. I mean, it's at least a quarter mile. Like it's a good distance. It's probably pushing half a mile to get there. And, you know, there's the Navy exchange store, which there's always like a division or whatever, like standing on the outside, which means that there's these guys with those stupid, those RDC, the red, uh, bands around their arm these guys are always patrolling that area and so we pull in to the where the phone booths are at and sure enough man there's like three of these guys you usually see one or two maybe but there's three of them and they're just like patrolling the area and like our heart is just about to jump out of our chest and i don't remember what i said to these guys but we're just like all right listen like we gotta we're here we gotta do this like there's no running away now, like time to go <laughs> because if we do anything weird or funny, we're going to get spotted. Like they've already seen us. Like we have to get in these boots and they're like, um, they're foam boots and they have like a little, I think they have like a, I forget the doors like, but it's like this little, you know, it's like a little draw door. You kind of close it. Maybe it folds in half. I think something like that. And so we get in these foam like Bill boots. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah, that that's boot. exactly right. Yes, sir. And there's like a little seat, in there and it's just like an old school like coin operated phone and i'm sure that actually before i told these guys like before we went i think i was probably we probably all had some sort of like little meeting of like what do we do if that kind of thing and like how do we behave how do we conduct ourselves and we just knew in that moment like like don't no turning back and like you have to act really confident that like you belong here you know that this was this we're not here by accident. Like this, there's a reason for us to be here. So I remember sitting in this phone booth and I made a call and dude, I'm like, like I said, my heart's about to jump out of my chest. But one of these guys, he's already sees, wow, he opens the door on me. And I look at him like, bitch, like, like I'm about to slap you right now <laughs> because I'm like, I'm trying to like get in the mindset of somebody who deserves a phone call. And if this guy's going to open up the thing on me, like, Hey man, this is the only time I have to call my family. Like I'm trying to be in that mindset, even though I don't belong there. He kind of like looks left, yeah. looks right, and then he closes the door, and then he goes on. And I'm like, oh my gosh! And so, you know, we we probably spent a little less time in there than we should have because we were so scared. And uh, we finished our phone call. I think that was our fourth one at this point. Uh, my fourth one. Um, there's some other dudes who probably was the third, whatever. But we we masked up, and then we got the heck out of there. And uh, that was pretty crazy. That was like one of the craziest things we did because we really exposed ourselves to being in boot camp longer than we needed to be. I mean, people did get set back in training and you heard about it or you'd see it and you're like, Oh, that poor bastard. Like that sucks. Like you do so, not want to so say you got, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no. I just, I was gonna say, you don't want to spend one moment longer there than you need to be there. Like it's, it's really, you just want to get out as soon as you can. So it was a pretty big risk for a, a silly phone call. And if you get sent back, like you're getting sent back to, like how many weeks back do you go? Um, I think some guys, it depends on what they did wrong, but 
maybe a couple weeks. What they do, it sounds like what they do is they find a division that is appropriate, like has enough placement for you, and then they put you in that division. So I think it can vary. It can vary based on just like whatever is available. Because I'm, I'm sure some divisions they have too, um, too many people and you can't put somebody there, or they, there might be another division that has like just under. So you can put someone there. So it's sort of like, it sounds like it's a placement issue. It didn't happen to me, but it did happen to some guys. Like, um, if guys tried to say that they, there was like something like wrong with them when there wasn't like a mental, like, oh, you know, I'm going to kill myself or whatever it was. Like you heard about these guys and a few of them from our division, they would get put into like a certain kind of holding to make sure that that wasn't true. They'd get some sort of a evaluation, I think, and then they would put them back in training. And so if you had to be there nine weeks, those guys had to be there like 11, 12 weeks because they made some stupid mistake of like saying that they were going to do something that they really weren't. Um, and so it just was like, whoa, like it's just unimaginable. Like, dude, three more weeks? No way. Like that is killer. Because when you get to your fifth week, five weeks isn't that long, but man, it feels like you are just like, you're like, dude, we're almost done. It's such a big deal. Um, the weeks pass by very slow. I mean, it felt like Groundhog Day. Like, I remember every morning when I would leave the ship, I would make that first pivot of the morning. I mean, I can basically see it right now. Like, that first pivot on that concrete to go out to the grinder, I remembered it every single day. I was like, man, this again. You know, like, it just, no, there was, like, such little variation that it was hard to, you know, really figure out how long. I mean, you knew how long you were there for, but, like, it felt like forever, you know, because you're not even allowed to like play chess on a piece of paper. <laughs> like, Yeah. Like you, you know? just feel like a robot. You actually do. It's mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. You can't even go to sleep when you want to, like, like even on the weekends, um, you know, you're, it's sort of like your free time, but really what it is is like the guys who are uh, your petty officers, it's like they actually need a break. So one of those three guys would basically stay on duty and kind of like watch you guys and make sure you weren't doing anything stupid. And you had kind of free time, but it, it was really to write letters and maybe just to, like, hang out and kind of talk to your buddies or whatever. Sometimes we would, like, grapple and, like, wrestle and stuff like that, do stupid stuff like that. But um, even on that free time, you weren't allowed to lay in your rack. Like, once you made your rack, your bed, that's it. Um, so we would sleep underneath the beds, like, under under the bunk beds, like, uh, almost like a vampire. Like, I remember one time I was sleeping under the racks. I kind of had my arms like my hands crossed over my chest and someone would come in and I remember sitting up and hitting my head <clears throat> like right on the rack bang like oh man and like try to roll out from underneath the bed so you don't so nobody sees that you're sleeping you're taking a nap <clears throat> so like you know like that kind of stuff I mean they're they're kind of sleep depriving you and messing with you in all kinds of different ways and sleep deprived really just means like you get like six hours a night that's what you get it sounds like a luxury yeah I mean with the I course, when you're, the course I go, man. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I guess it, I guess it would, you know. But it, maybe just, I mean, I, I just remember feeling tired all the time because, you know, they would, uh, you'd go eat lunch and then you'd go sit in the room and I mean, it was just a lot of like <clears throat> monotonous sort of um, activities, I guess. <clears throat> so you always kind yeah, of felt like, you, man, you're I not, I just get some good sleep. Yeah, and you're not, like, physically stimulated and mentally stimulated. Everything is just, like, so um, arbitrary and granular with the, the details that yeah. you have to, 
to follow. So then exactly. you're just like, you feel mentally defeated and broken down. You're just like, man, this is bullshit. When's yeah, this going to end? I mean, you're, so it exactly. exhausts you, it's, mentally it's, exhausts you. Yeah, man. It's, it's not, it's just like, you, you're just looking for any variation and a nap sounds like a really good way to pass the time, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I don't know, like actually during this time, a lot of dudes would actually exercise because, um, like I said, I mean, there was definitely exercise, but it wasn't like what you see in the movies. So certain guys who were like, their their whole goal was to be like a Navy SEAL, for example. They'd be like, I don't want to get out of shape. So they would be exercising on the weekends, like doing push-ups and getting in their reps. So when they get out, they're not like, you know, pudgy or whatever. But a lot of dudes actually lost a ton of weight just from eating three meals a day. So like eating at a regular rate like in when you eat lunch or dinner or breakfast, you only have like literally 10 minutes. So you sit down and you eat like that's what I mean. You chow it down and they tell you, um, you got one minute, you know, like, thank you one minute or whatever the heck they'd say. I forget what it was, but they would like tell you how much time you have to eat. And, um, literally they, they own you, dude. <laughs> and like, what, what are you eating at this point? You know what? They actually, um, here's another sort of reflection on, on why it feels like prison. You would actually eat exactly what um, prison, like prison has, like the, the recipes that they would use for prison food. I don't know how I knew this like fact, but it was, you're basically eating what prisoners would eat. Um, but on the upside, there would be like you would every now and then. I mean, I think every day they had like a little bit of like, you'd get some sort of a, a treat. So like there would be like, oh, cake, you know, like a little piece of cake or something like that. Um, but every now and then, like in the morning, you, you know, for breakfast, like sometimes nothing would be good. So like the bread would be stale or like sometimes the milk was bad and you're like, man, what the heck am I going to eat? Like you'd, you'd eat dry cereal or, you know, like you just try to figure out or you, a banana, like sometimes the food wasn't up to par. So you just have to eat whatever, but it was just whatever they fed you. And there weren't very many options. <clears throat> Like you're not having filet mignon and uh, sausage <laughs> in a not red wine quite, reduction. Not, <laughs> not quite. In fact, my brother, when he was actually on the ship, he told me this. He said that because uh, he had to work, you know, I think everybody at some point works in the galley or the kitchen. And he said that when he was opening up a package of meat, it said, it said grade D meat, as in like dog, grade D meat. <laughs> For military or per, um, prisonel use only, <laughs> like that's what the the box mm. said. I was like, "Whoa, dude!" <laughs> like, like the, just worst the worst kind of possible food. meat. Yeah, <laughs> like just barely for human consumption. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sure like there's like dog food that's healthier than that. You know. Uh, dude, man, I, I remember. I, I don't remember when this came out, but there was like. <sighs> I can't remember. It was an article. It was like last year or the year before. And there was this, I guess it was like a food distributor in China. And they had this meat that they had tried to ship to the U.S. Like they, I don't know why they had so much meat or what they were doing, but it was like literally 50 years old. <laughs> like it was like, it was like, it was like 50 year old meat, man. Cause it was like time stamped with a date and they and they changed the date on it and they were trying to like distribute it to the u.s and Whoa, somehow they got man. caught yeah dude it was 50 years old and then when they were asked about like why they did that they're like well man it's frozen 
And like, yeah, yeah, point well taken. It's not going bad, but I don't <laughs> think there's too many nutrients in fifty-year-old. That dude, dude, that's like grade W meat. Like that's that's <laughs> worse. That's beyond. That's like the, that's bottom. Man, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about that. The only thing I can think of is like Austin Powers and how you would like chronologically freeze a human being. Like that's the only other meat you might be able to freeze longer. I, I don't even know if that. <laughs> Dude, 50 years old. So you, I mean, how your grade D meat? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. your grade D meat could have been 50 years old. Yeah, at least it's not China, China meat. Right? It could have been though. You never know. Yeah, right. But yeah, dude, uh, it's savage. Anyway, I, I, I don't know. Uh, boot camp, eh? Like the freaking prison food. I think is where where this is all headed or from or whatever. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. The, the military, I remember when we first talked, like this is sort of your initiation into the whole thing. They just own you and they feed you crap and it's the military, man. It's bad. Crazy. Did you guys have, uh, so you've got airplanes coming and going from the ship. Yeah, right? I mean. I, it's an, air, it's an aircraft carrier? Yeah. It is, and I mean, like, I actually didn't spend uh, spend any time on a carrier or on any boat or ship. Um, I mean, they're called ships, but I call them boats. Uh, but, yeah, there's literally, like, my brother, he was a, an electronics technician, so he worked on a, a plane that's called, like, an E3 or, or something like that. I forget what it's called, but it basically has, like, a, a disc on top of it. It's, like, a really weird-looking um, plane, and those things, I guess, would take off and land on the carriers and, you know, they like shoot them off. They shoot the jets off with like this uh, this cable, and that's how they can get up to speed in such a short distance. And then uh, whenever they're landing, that same cable catches them. Um, I guess that they shoot them off with like a. It's more like a trigger type thing, but it like basically like launches the plane off that boat. Savage. So you got to see planes come and go. You weren't on the ship for that long, it sounds like, but <clears throat> you still saw it. Well, no. When we were in, um, actually, my I was supposed to be stationed. I was, I think, I had a, I had like a, a like a seat. I wasn't stationed on a ship. I mean, this was before I got out. I, I knew where I was going to be stationed. They had me stationed uh, at a place where the airplanes would be. I think it was like a almost like a like a. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a ship, but it was where the airplanes would be landing and taking off. It was like a land station, um, like land duty, I think it was shore duty. That's the word I was looking for. It was like a shore duty station uh, where I would like load film into air, uh, like the, the wings of airplanes. So I have to imagine that these airplanes, maybe they were like, I, I never knew what they were, but it seems like they would have been maybe a little bit big for like an aircraft carrier. I'm not really sure though. And that's when you were supposed to go, or you were in, um, put on the, the East Coast, that's where you, when you got out, that's where you ended up going. Oh, yeah, it cut out a little bit. But, yeah, actually, uh, so to, to pick up, I think, from what you were saying, basically, when you get out of boot camp, you go to your A school, which is where you learn your trade, and that's where I was stationed on the East Coast in Maryland uh, on an Army base called Fort Meade, uh, Maryland, and I learned photography there. And then they were going to ship me. Well, I wasn't going to go very far, but my next station after that was Oceana, Virginia. Um, there's, like, I think it's – Virginia Beach or whatever, which is like the really big Navy base, but I was going to go to a smaller base uh, in Oceana, 
which is what we're talking about now. And like I said, I think it was shore duty. And I think that they had like sort of like a, like a, you know, an air, an air base basically for planes to take off and land. And that's where I was supposed to go. Dude, is that Norfolk? Is that what Oceana is? Uh, yeah, it's, it's like right over there. I mean, I think Oceana was like, I honestly, man, I, I don't even know, but I, I, from my recollection, I think Oceana was like a smaller base um, around Norfolk, but it wasn't Norfolk. Norfolk was like the big, big Navy base. I think it's the biggest Navy base in, uh, in America. Um, so Oceana was out like, there, man. Oh yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty big. Yeah, like I mean, I haven't been on the ships or anything, but oh, I, okay. uh, when I was out in Norfolk, like you could see the ships everywhere, and I was like, "Geez, yeah, crazy." And it's yeah, just exactly. a lot of a lot of people in the the city are just like they're people from the navy, right? Like there's just such a predominant like, presence of the military. Like you're there, and it's like that's you're basically. I mean, I've never been there, but my understanding is when you're in Norfolk, it's like you're you're basically surrounded by everything Navy. Um, and <laughs> I had had enough of the Navy at that point. <laughs> I was ready to get away from that crap. And that's when you got out. Yeah, over in uh, over in Maryland, yeah, dude. Because, uh, like, as you could probably tell with this whole boot camp thing, man, I mean, I mean, this is just the tone of... of you're just you're just so aware at this point of like how much you do not belong to yourself, and uh, that's a pretty crazy thought. And when you get out of boot camp and you go to A school, one of the things they they sort of do is they wean you off boot camp because they know you're ready to go freaking hog wild. And some people still do. They go, no matter what the the Navy does, it's like or the military. They, you know, they try to wean you off, meaning they give you like a certain set of rules when you first get to your your duty station. They're like, all right, you still have to wear your uniforms all the time, like no civilian clothes, and we're going to do inspections on your room, and we're going to do – they treat you like sort of like you're in boot camp a little bit, but just to slowly take you down. So, like, eventually you'll get your civilian clothes back. You can go out when you want, and you can start doing normal human things. Um, but that's just so you don't, like, get somewhere and, like, run away or go party, you know, and kill any, like, alcohol poisoning or whatever. But some people, I mean – some people are just determined to like sort of self-destruct or make a bunch of bad decisions. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, dude, that, that nine weeks and that it's for, for other branches, it's longer. It really is like a process of like brainwashing. Like there's something that happens where you don't see people the same way. Like when, whenever I got out of the military, I still looked at people if they were a certain age I would almost assign them in my head with like a certain like ranking. Like I was just, I, I just saw the world differently. I'd be like, Oh, this person is this. Um, like you just have so much respect too. I mean, it's not a horrible thing, but you also kind of operate a little bit like a robot because you're so regimented. You're just dealing with people in a different way, interfacing, like you're being so respectful. Or at least I was, you know, but at the same time, I, I've always been kind of, I still did very like rebellious things, <laughs> but I was didn't it didn't change the fact that I was still it felt like I was like brainwashed or, or sort of uh, made to appreciate things in a different way. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. So I mean, it's always good to see like the more 
diversity experiences you have and the more exposure to different things. And if if a person's open-minded, the more that influences them, right? The more in a positive way, it's just you get, you almost become more empathetic towards all these different situations. But like, how long did it take for you to kind of undo that indoctrination in your mind? You know, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't snap your fingers, but... Over over a year, for sure. And I'll give you an example. Like, this is pretty crazy, man. So whenever whenever I was at my duty station, uh, or I wasn't my duty station, the A school, they have this thing called a 1MC. 1MC is just a microphone. It's kind of like when you're in school and, like, the principal would talk on this, like, this, this little speaker, you know? Um, so they had this 1MC, and when they pressed the button down, like, in the office to, like, tell everybody in the ship, or not the ship, but on that base, Rather, in these barracks, that's what they are. I'm looking for all the right words. They would tell people, like, they'd make some sort of announcement in the barracks, but there's that, like, white noise that happens right before they talk. It's like a... And then they say something. And when you hear that sound, you listen. You're like, okay, they're about to tell us something. <laughs> listen up, you know, and then they make whatever announcement. So long after I'd been out of the, the Navy, I was uh, living with a buddy of mine, and I'm laying in bed. And by the way... I would wake up every day, like after like six hours of sleep, always wake up six hours, six hours. Like it was like clockwork. I don't know how long that took, but that happened. Like I could sleep in, but I would just wake up and I couldn't go back to sleep. So that was one thing. But the other thing was laying in bed and there's water running through the pipes. And I sat up in bed to listen to the one MC. I was like, I sat up. It was almost like post-traumatic stress disorder or something like like you hear a sound and you associate it so much with something that like it changes your physical be- Like I sat up in my bed and I was like waiting for somebody to talk to me. <laughs> and I'd already been out of the Navy for probably half a year at this point. And I was just like, whoa, that was weird. <laughs> that was just water. Dude, I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I've had, I've had stuff happen like that with stimulus where it's like you get some stimuli that you associate with one thing and it might have, uh, you might have like a negative impression of whatever that stimuli is and you hear it in an unrelated sense, an unrelated environment, and all of a sudden you're like, your spidey senses go off, you're hypersensitive. You're like, whoa, yeah. what the fuck is that? Yeah. And again, your your brain is like automatic. It's like Pavlov's dog. You just start salivating yeah. all over the floor, you know? So you hear it's the bell. Programming, man. There you go. It's, it's whatever, it is. like, I am... I am actually super fascinated by whoever created these systems or like this thing of boot camp, however it works. I'm like very fascinated with whoever decided to make these decisions and like, you know, cause like I said, you have certain things like the stuff you wear um, dictates how you feel and like almost like your sense of uh, accomplishment or like your, your self-esteem you know, you you have a recruit hat, you see the guy with the Navy hat, and you're like, no way. Like, that is, that guy is, like I said, he's like a god. Like, that, that's so unreal. Like, you're in the Navy. Because before that, you're a recruit. And so whatever that does to your psychology, like, those types of, uh, almost like hazing, you know, um, they, they, they really, I mean, our boot camp was not, it's not the Marines. <laughs> you know, the Marines are, like, actually, like, tough. We're a bunch of wimps compared to them. So it's like, and I think their boot camp is like 12 weeks. 
and they they fire like live weapons. I mean, we fire weapons. We fire like a nine millimeter, but it's at a it's stupid. It's like at a fire range, and it's stupid. But you know, I could just imagine what those guys went through and like the sort of brainwashing that they went through because you know it stuck with me. Like I said, at least over a year. I mean, it had to have been at like two years to really get it out, and that's not even I mean, nine weeks plus. I guess I was in the military for just under a year, so maybe that had something to do with it. But really. Boot camp is responsible for a lot of it. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's that's hardcore conditioning, right? Even yeah, I think people people can experience that even in a workplace. So if you're in, and I know you know, I've had some separate conversations about things, but um, people in work environments where they might face adversity that negativity doesn't just go away as soon as you go on vacation. It's not like your mind just resets, yeah. right? It's like it I takes that is a hugely long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's hugely not like, underrated. oh, just go take a break. It's like, no, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take some time for your mind to actually reset and be refreshed. And even between yeah. jobs, if you go from one job to another, it's like you, your mind doesn't get back to its, optimal state right where you're thinking um insightful thoughts and you're it's performing at a high level it's like no that doesn't happen if you face adversity right and there's so many different ways yeah. of facing adversity it could be recessionary it could be compensation related it could be um we'll call it the psychological treatment or the way that somebody like somebody's mental well-being in a workplace but these are all factors that yeah man the right like when you get the the conditioning that does that to you it's it takes time to undo it It doesn't just happen overnight and i think there's something about i mean i don't know i think if because i thought about this quite a bit because you know you're hitting on some things that are important like man it's i think it's the reaction like your body goes through the, the sort of the reactive nature of the human. Like in boot camp, you don't have you don't have a choice. Like you have to react. I mean, otherwise, like there are consequences. Um, and so yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to uh, sort of unearth whatever the these key components are. But to me, it seems like your ability to control your reactive response to certain things. Um, so whether it's in the, the workplace or not, like, you know, if somebody's doing or saying something and like how that makes you feel, if you're able to control that reaction inside your body, I think that's the governing factor because it's all based on like the thing I'm talking about hearing the water and thinking it's the microphone and sitting up, that's a reactive response, you know? Um, so being able to control your reactions is to me, it seems like there's something in that. And I don't know exactly what it is, but you know, in the workplace, you have to react a certain way. You have to, you're expected to behave a certain way. Um, or maybe, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just riffing here, but yeah, it's whenever that thing gets baked into you and your body starts reacting in a certain way, it's really unhard, I think, to undo those reactions. Very hard. Yeah, it takes time. And it all comes down to, yeah. it all, like, all comes down to mental game, man. That's all it is. Mental yeah. game. Yep. It spans so many things. It can be sports related. It could be military related. It could be just general performance, um, like in your professional career, the 
side hustles, you do whatever it is, but mental game is just the way that you navigate the world and you steer the rudder of your own ship, right? And mental game is, yeah. it's, I mean, I've got, I've got this theory, I guess you want to call it, whatever it is. I ended up, <laughs> wrote a blog post about it probably seven years ago, man. I've still got it. And I've been evolving this thought, but it's uh, evolving it into a little bit longer work, but it's it's called mental game. All of us have it, only some of us use it, right? Yeah. And so it's like if you look Dude. at people like, like Terry Fox, right? Terry Fox mm-hmm. did what is not considered humanly possible. He ran for 143 days straight. He ran... 26 miles or more a day. So he ran a marathon every day for 143 days straight. And he only took one day off, and that was to spend time with this other kid who had cancer that he met along the way. And it was like, I think it was like half a day or something. And he he just went savage. But he's running on one leg, and it's like one of those clunky prosthetics with these shitty adidas orion shoes that had shugu on the bottom he shugu'd them because the sole was falling <laughs> off right like he did it, it, oh dude it was how he he but he didn't shugu the side he shugu the sole right and then he's he's got yeah. his like prosthetic belted on with like a leather strap i mean that's how old this shit was it was we're talking the the early 80s so he did something that was not humanly possible through bad weather like it it was extremely hot and extremely cold sometimes he's running through snow and he's running through a bunch of shit but he uh he did if you told somebody hey man like i'm gonna do this regardless of that person's physical state somebody would say that's not possible a marathon a day for 143 days dude terry fox did it because he had mental game and everybody's got it it's just not everybody exercises it probably the most important thing <laughs> I mean, honestly i mean uh you know i mean I, I know this with fighting but like i mean this is sort of what mike tyson was known for and really his trainer customado i mean he was the guy who talked about um the mental aspect of fighting he was like the first person to talk about it and we see it in mike tyson the way he looked at his opponents and never took his eyes off his opponents but not just with tyson with any fighter you know you can have these physical tools and, you know, we all have them. I mean, there's only so far you can really, um, you know, like a human body is a human body. And this guy may be stronger than you, but really what it comes down to is like your mental attitude about that fight. And if you're going to use those tools like the way you should, because your your mind will hold you back from using the tools you have. You're talking about a guy who didn't have, he was short a leg, man. And then the, the prosthetic itself was horrible. And I mean, just every single thing, that shouldn't that is not in his favor, he still did something that seems impossible. And so that's all because of his mind. And there's no doubt, you know, it's like the mind, man, it is it is the game. <laughs> you know? It is the game. It is the game, man. It is the game. And it's it's what oscillates. That's what makes it crazy. Because some days, mm-hmm. especially in the creative world, you go on these extreme highs and extreme lows where it's just up and down because it's uh, a process. We're not robotic as creative people. And uh, I mean, human beings aren't programmed to be robots. We're not. That's why we're humans. And so it's, 
Yeah, it's the mind, man. It's just how you control that mental game given the oscillation. That's the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so true, man. Yeah, you just said a bunch of stuff. I'm like, yeah. Especially with process as it relates to creativity because it's not, it's not a linear process. It's not a checklist. It's, uh, it's just a, a process that <laughs> that is not linear. I mean, I don't even know how to say it, but you know, you have to try You have to basically map a bunch of mistakes to figure out what the solution is. At least that's how I see what it is that I do in, in design, you know, looking for solutions. You're, you're just trying to map all the mistakes and, and find that, that one solution that really works. And that can be daunting and it can be, depending on the way, you know, you see yourself or others see you in that process, you know, you can really second guess yourself about am I am I doing this right you know and so the mental game man. I gotta get on that <laughs> the crazy isn't that life though that's a crazy thing it's just your yeah, map if you're really if you're being honest with yourself you're mapping your mistakes mm-hmm. and you're trying to iterate on them and get better and learn from what that's you've what done is, and yeah. ha- have all these different experiences and say I'm gonna go here I'm gonna go there and uh, expose myself to all these things and that's that's how you become who you are yeah, it's so true. Try a bunch, you know, try a bunch and then see, I guess when at the end of that, see like who you are, you know, based on those things. And life is such a crazy thing because it's always evolving. And um, But yeah, life really is that. It's mapping a bunch of mistakes to figure out, at least, I mean, I tend to agree with you here. It's like to figure out who you are, you know, who am I? Like what resonates with me? And those things do change over time, but then it does seem like there are certain things that, um, maybe like certain values or certain aspects to who we are as people that maybe don't change or don't vary uh, all that much. And I think those are the the things, you know, it's like what resonates with me, like what kind of activities in the world should I be doing and who should I be doing them with? Um, I don't think, you know, for me, the type of people that I like to be around and, you know, work with, I don't think that changes much, you know, and I think that's the thing I'm, on a mission to figure out about myself as I figure out this whole mental, mental game and uh, iterate through life. <laughs> That's it, man. That's exactly it. Yeah. You've got, you've got a big change coming up if you're moving to move into the Rockies. So yeah, dude, it's happening. It's going to happen quick too. I'm, we're trying to get there as soon as possible. So yeah, it's uh, maybe in the next couple months. Oh, we should uh we should chat more uh USC stuff. Carry on another day but uh Yeah, we, we should chat like more, you, but I'm not I, done telling you. I'm not done telling you about boot camp, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm game for more boot camp. Yeah. I'm game for more about, boot camp. Probably about three or four more things that are kinda of worth knowing. But uh maybe small things, but yeah, they're kinda of funny. Just different little yeah, there's a couple little stories in there. Um, Let's but yeah, we we should definitely talk talk education as well. Because you know what, man, I'll tell you this. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, before we get get off the phone here, I wasn't much of a student when I was in you know, in high school. I barely graduated high school, but I somehow managed to get into USC with a 4.0, and that's all because of the military, 100. percent Um. So I think it'd be kind of cool to talk a little bit about boot camp, A school, and then I can tell you about like USC, 
and I think that would probably be, you know, about the same length of conversation we had here because there's just a couple little peppering things about boot camp that are kind of funny and worth talking about. But, uh, but yeah, we could definitely talk USC and sort of education and, and how the Navy informed that for me. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things, too, that we can sit here and, and laugh and there's some funny things, but if, you, if you're being objective, too, and just honest with yourself about it, you go, yeah, there were some positive things. Like, it sounds like, hey, I took some positives out of it. Like, it made me very, whatever it was, very organized or detail-oriented or, um, like, willing to put forth an effort, which is what helped you in university, it sounds like, right? And it's like without going through the military, then you might be high school Jason Gonzalez, not like Jason Mm -hmm. Gonzalez who's gone through military and gone through school and all all these. It's just interesting how these little, well, not little, but these um, life experiences that become pillars of our foundation they shape us so much in so many different ways, and that carries through. Whether we liked it or not at the time, there's, there, we can mm-hmm. take out all the good things, all the things that are meaningful to us, and we can make it our own, right? And that's kind of what it sounds like the military did for you. Yeah, man, it it challenge, it challenges you. And so through that challenge, it shows you who you can be if you choose to challenge yourself, like because I didn't have anybody keeping me really honest. And when, when you step into the military, it confronts you and then it challenges you. And it, like I said, it shows you who you can be, you know, like check this out. If you're, if you're like disciplined, check this out, look what you can do. You're like, Whoa, you know? Um, so yeah, it, 100%. And there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the military, even though for like the short period of time I was there or doing it, you know, doing the military thing, it was definitely uh, one of the most important experiences of my life. Like, and that, you know, the whole teamwork thing, dude, that I've never seen teamwork like in the military. And it's some people use computers to solve problems. Like they, they look at like the, the power of a computer. I look at people in the same way. I, I go, man, if we could operate like a team, like the way the military does, we would be unstoppable as human beings. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I read this thing talking about scaling companies from like a certain size to another size, and you can read all the stuff you want, but it's like the main takeaway is that everybody puts one foot forward at the same time, the same foot, and that's how you make incremental progress, right? And that's like the, that's the military, dude. That is marching, my friend, and that's that's what I mean by teamwork you know, first thing is you you guys are running into each other when you first figure it out. Everybody's mad at each other because you're literally all supposed to take a step at the same time and none of us know how to do it. But then when you get that coordination and your your you know, your R rocks calling out those numbers and like you know exactly when you're supposed to step and you know that the guy behind you's gonna step and the guy in front of you's gonna step and you're gonna step, it becomes magical. You start doing they're called trick drills. So, like, you get to a point where not only can you march, but you can start doing these tricks that are fancy, like firing a missile where you take your division and you split the line and then you shoot, you know, basically a column of, of your own guys up the middle of the line and then you collapse into each other and you keep going. It's super cool. You're like, what did we learn? 
And it's just all rhythm-based. It's all rhythm-based. Yeah, it is. It is. And you're talking about scaling a company and taking a step. I mean, it couldn't be closer to what marching. I mean, that's literally what marching is. And to watch that evolution, you get you sort of get goosebumps about it because you're like, we couldn't march before, and like nine weeks later, we're we're doing all this fancy stuff. Like, and it's 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 amazing. I mean, I don't know if anybody else took that away, but like I certainly did. I was like. Wow, if you can get people to work together like this, it's just, whew. Do you remember the days when people used to have to walk around with torches? Like, that, that was the way that they would see these cave people these Neanderthals they'd walk around with these torches because I don't know maybe that's the way they found their way around the cave the forest the rock faces that they lived in I don't know maybe it was a style thing like fire on a stick that was a style thing but I mean can you imagine if we walked around with torches in our house like that's how we saw everyone would have like burn marks in their couch and on their rug and probably wouldn't be the best thing but that's kind of unnecessary because if you need light as bad as having a torch in your house look no further than cedar and moss c-e-d-a-r-a-n-d-m-o-s-s dot com so cedar and moss makes these beautiful mid-century lights mid-century modern lights and uh, they're a company based out of Portland, Oregon, where they, they handcraft different metal materials, um, brass and nickel and you name it. And they blow the glass and every every light's made to order. They're all custom made. I just ordered a bunch of them and put them up all over. It'll be like a light show. It'll be like Christmas lights on the outside of a house, just random lights dispersed everywhere look pretty bad I'm sure if I did that but it's not the plan anywho Cedar and Moss uh, I mean it sounds like a an episode of Portlandia these hipsters making these handcrafted lights but they really are these beautiful crafts of art if you want to call them that they're really well thought out and they're clean and simple design so if you need to drop a deuce in the middle of the night you need to go do your business you don't want to stub your toe on the way there you got to get a cedar and moss light one of those wall scones says just put it up make sure you can find your path to go do your business and get back to bed safely if that's the case if you need light so you can drop a number two maybe just a number one Go check out Cedar and Moss. They'll cover you. They got they got you. The other company you can check out is Onnit. O-N-N-I-T dot com. You see, Onnit, they're a total human optimization company. So we all know the way things are going. AI isn't coming. AI is here. Artificial intelligence has taken over. And people are starting to implant things in their bodies. We're not quite cyborgs, but we're slowly becoming them. Robots, 
becoming more robotic by day. And if you want to take the natural approach to becoming a robot, you want to enhance your human performance through natural supplements, you got to go check out on it. They've got things that will boost your, your mental acuity and things that will boost your physical performance. But on it, uh, on it has you covered. If you need some supplements to enhance your human performance, go check out on it. O-N-N-I-T dot com. Last but not least, I mean, I, I can't thank everyone enough for, for their feedback. People who listen and they give feedback, I, I truly appreciate it. So a sincere thank you to anyone who takes the time to reach out. And there's been many people who've given feedback, whether they liked or didn't like an episode. And I love hearing that. I love hearing when people don't like things. And I love hearing when they do like things. And it, it just it helps to make this an iterative process. It helps to improve week after week in what what we're doing with this whole character thing. So thank you if you've uh, if you've taken the time to give any feedback or reach out. I truly appreciate it. And if there is anything that you do like, any episodes you do like, what would be a, a massive, massive favor or something that's greatly appreciated is if you don't mind sharing it. Just share it with one person. Let them know about that episode. Let them know what you thought. And that's how this thing continues to grow. So if you feel so compelled to share an episode, I bow down. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next week with part three, the last episode with Jason Gonzalez.